Good morning. Today's reading is from the Good News according to Matthew, chapter 21, verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir come. Let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks be to God. to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Well, here's a Bible passage that probably won't make it into uh, children's Bibles, you could say. And if it does, maybe there'd be a warning on the label. A landowner, Jesus says, a landowner plants a vineyard complete with the wine press, everything you need to craft a quality bottle of wine. This rich sommelier then invites some tenants to take it over for a while because he's going overseas. And while he's out of town, he sends some of his business reps to collect on this world-renowned growing vintage. The tenants, however, don't receive these guys well. They stone and beat and they kill them. But the owner's insistent 
on getting a return on his investments. So he sends even more business reps to collect. You know, you can picture them with the suitcases and saying, well, it's time. But then the same thing happens. They're beaten, they're stoned, and they're killed. Eventually, the owner, though, sends his own son to collect. He assumes that they'll have the res show the some respect to his flesh and blood. But instead, they mutiny. They try to take over the vineyard for themselves, and they kill the son, too. Each step, rejection, rejection, rejection. It's an interesting parable, a rather violent story, but it's also more than a story because you remember this is a parable, it's one of Jesus' short stories, and sometimes the meaning of a parable is a little obscure, a little mysterious. But this particular parable is an allegory, meaning that it's, the meaning is thinly veiled. There's not much room for interpretation here. Here Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of his people and of his time. And the parable's all about them. God is the landowner in this case. Israel, God's people, is the vineyard where God has invested time and energy and love. And the tenants are Israel's leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. Israel's leaders, like the tenants in the parable, have harvested God's people for their own purposes rather than producing decent fruit or fermenting righteousness. God, being God, has been like the landlord, very patient. He sent his servants to the tenants, servants in the forms of prophets to change their minds. And each time the leaders have beaten, stoned, and killed them. So by this point, you can probably guess who the son is supposed to be. The son, of course, is Jesus, the son of God, who, like the son of the vineyard, is sent face to face to turn the people around. And at this point, Jesus is set on a direct course to end up dead, just like the son in the parable. In this parable, Jesus is prophetically speaking of his forthcoming death. He'll be rejected by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the people themselves. He'll be rejected in the same way that countless others before him have been. And if you read ahead, you'll see that he was right. You know, here in this passage, we have one of the unique and odd things about Christianity. Jesus, the founder of the movement, was rejected. Jesus was rejected. He was rebuffed. He was denied. He was killed. And we rarely consider just how weird this actually is. I remember in university having a conversation with a friend of mine from Yemen. And this friend was a practicing Muslim and still is, of course. And one day we got onto the topic of the crucifixion of Jesus. And at that time, I wasn't aware that Muslims believe Jesus to be a prophet, a divine messenger, but they don't believe that Jesus was the son of God or that he died on the cross. They believe that he was saved from that fate and ascended into heaven. God wouldn't do that, my friend said. 
And do what, I asked. My friend then told me that God, Jesus couldn't have been crucified because God wouldn't allow his prophet to go undergo such shame, such humiliation. God wouldn't fail like that. God wouldn't fail like that. It's not just Muslims. We rarely consider how weird it is. For us, suffering, pain, pain, failure, rejection, these are all things to be avoided. I mean, we spend a lot of our lives hiding from them, medicating them away. Because they hurt, they expose our weakness. They sound forth our inability to, to all people. The mere existence of our mortality challenges faith itself. Is If there is a God, that God could only be in the business of joy, success, strength, power, not rejection, failure, or pain, because these are not good things. But this passage has it all front and center. Here it's rejection, rejection, rejection. Jesus is part of a long line of rejection. And not only was he rejected, it wasn't just an accident of history. It's the weirdest thing. It's that it's somehow all part of this divine plan. It's all part of the divine plan, rejection. Okay. So after Jesus tells this parable, he asks the Pharisees and scribes to finish it off for them. How does this parable end? He asks. Who, what do you think the landlord's going to do when he gets back? The scribes and the Pharisees answer like any of us would. Vengeance, of course. Vengeance. Well, he's going to crush those tenants in the wine press. And then he's going to put up flyers saying, I need some new tenants. Duh. But Jesus says something completely perplexing in response. In response, he quotes scripture to them. He quotes the 118th Psalm. Haven't you read, Jesus says, haven't you read that the stones the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This means the whole deal is going to be taken away from you, he says, and it's going to be given to somebody who will finally bear good fruit. You trip on this stone, and you're going to shatter to pieces, and if it falls on you, you're going to be crushed. This psalm is a thanksgiving psalm where the psalmist thanks God for being rescued from his enemies, and it's being applied here to Jesus. Jesus applies it to himself. Jesus is the cornerstone that these guys will reject. His rejection is a failure, but not ultimately. Jesus will be rejected by the world, crucified, died, and buried, but he will rise again on the third day. And this, Jesus says, this is how the owner is going to retake the vineyard of creation back from the wicked tenants and plant a whole new crop in the parable. This is how God's going to retake the world from the powers of sin and death and resume, resume control of creation, not through success, 
not through vengeance, not through triumph, not through power, not through brute strength, but rejection, suffering, and death. This is how God's going to do it. This is the cornerstone, the rock that will hold against every assault, the boulder that will smash through every obstacle in its way. Even though Jesus is rejected by the world, he's not rejected by God. Even though Jesus is rejected by the world, God's going to use him to rebuild humanity and the whole of creation. The cross is the place of suffering, death, pain, and rejection. On that cross, the cornerstone against which all things shattered will itself be shattered by hammers and nails. But the cross is, at the same time, the arena of resurrection, of renewal, healing, and hope. Even stronger than the forces that break open the cornerstone of the Lord is the power of the resurrection, which surges forth from its cracks. So what does this mean for us? Each of us has been hurt. Each of us has been wounded and rejected in some way by others, by the world, by ourselves. Face it, in some way, we've all failed. We failed at work, we failed our spouses, we failed our children, we failed our friends, and we've been failed by others too. I've been thinking particularly this week about those of us who are indigenous, those of us who have been made to feel lesser or never felt like we'd ever measure up to expectations in the first place. Many of us are living lives that haven't lived up to our deepest hopes and expectations. We aren't the people who we believe we're supposed to be or we don't believe we deserve to be that way. This is the truth. This is the difficult truth. This is the truth. But the good news is, friends, the good news is that the good news (laughs) was made for people like us. A few years ago, the Anglican priest and commentator Giles Fraser wrote a piece for the season of Lent, and it was titled, Christianity, when properly understood, is a religion of losers. Christianity, when properly, properly understood, is a religion of losers. And a lot of people on the internet jumped on it while only reading the title, of course, as everybody on social media does. Some Christians were insulted and they said, stop calling us losers. Stop mocking us. And some atheists wholeheartedly agreed because after all, you'd have to be a loser to believe this kind of stuff, right? But Fraser, he didn't mean either of those. Here's what he wrote. The Christian story 
he says, the Christian story properly understood. Like the best sort of terrifying psychoanalysis strips you down to nothing in order for you to face yourself anew. For it turns out that losers are not despised or rejected, not ultimately. In fact, losers can discover something about themselves that winners cannot ever appreciate. That they are loved and wanted simply because of who they are and not because of what they achieve. That despite it all, raw humanity is glorious and wonderful and entirely worthy of love. And this is revealed precisely at the greatest point of dejection, Jesus' rejection. The resurrection is not a conjuring trick with bones. It is a revelation that love is stronger than death and that human worth is not indexed to worldly success. Love is stronger than death and that human worth is not indexed to worldly success. Here, Fraser was repeating the same sentiment of the psalm that Jesus quoted back to the Pharisees. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That though we are failures of one kind or another, that though we are rejected by the world, we're not rejected by God. We reject God, but God chooses us eternally from the beginning till the end. So my friends, the question is, which one are you? Who are you? Are you the one who, like Christ, has known rejection? Is your life scarred by suffering and shame? Or are you the one who, like the wicked tenants, <laughs> has done the rejecting? Have you scarred others and in the process had the vineyard of your own life taken away? I have a hunch that most if not all of us, are a mixture of both. And in either case, both cases, the good news is that in Jesus, we are met by a God who, like the owner in the parable, relentlessly seeks after us over and over again, only to reclaim us and the world for his good purposes. In Jesus, we meet a God who knows our suffering, who knows our shame, our pain, in our rejection and has experienced it firsthand, but doesn't write us off or shy us away or shy away from us. Christianity is for losers. <laughs> I was gonna say you heard it first, but here first, but Giles Fraser said it first. But Christianity is for losers because in Jesus we meet a God who meets us in our suffering, hurt, and loss head on, embracing it and us 
in the process and somehow transforms it and uses it for good. Christianity is for losers. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It is the weirdest, <laughs> the weirdest thing about Christianity. It's the weirdest thing, but also the best thing. Because it's not only weird, it's true. Amen. I 
Please join me in a 